Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Or is it Saint, Witch, Mommy, Sister, Party, and Lucky? The end. Welcome to the show. And we continue on in our Tudor series. Last time we talked about Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. And this time we're going to discuss the final four wives. <laughs> the final four, you know. So let's start with number three, Jane Seymour. So Jane Seymour was the daughter of Sir John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth, who were courtiers of long service. There's whole histories of families who basically have lived at court through multiple generations. Mm -hmm. And that is where they live. That is their home. And these are some of those. Although, you know, they'll have country houses, but their main residence would be wherever the king is. Jane was one of ten children. And in those days, family fertility equaled... Your fertility, as far as anyone knew. So she was good wife material for a king. She was not brought up with an education like Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. By no means was she an intellectual. Um, But she was regarded as a woman of good sense and intelligence, which don't always go together, by the way. (laughs) And then the fact I was thinking, because she had been a lady-in-waiting to both Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, Mm -hmm. and she emerged with her reputation intact, which I think took a miraculous amount of virtue yes. to get through that period not having lost your reputation. That's true. That's very true. Well, I mean, Anne Boleyn's era. That's <laughs> a good point. So she began to attract the notice of Henry VIII in her mid-twenties. She's the polar opposite of Anne Boleyn. She's modest, not vain, quiet, not loud, subservient, not shrewish and demanding. And her looks, you know... Who can tell from these portraits? Seriously, I said it once and I'll say it again. They all look very grim. (laughs) They just all look very grim. But according to contemporary statements, you know, she was attractive. And the fair lady with blonde hair and blue eyes was associated with goodness. Blonde hair was associated with virtue. I'm sitting here up just a little bit straighter. Granted, it's from a box. (laughs) It's enhanced a little bit. Just think, but, Pamela yeah. Anderson would have been... I know, she would have been like the an angel. epitome of virtue. <laughs> so this behavior of hers was probably not an act. She probably was modest. She probably was virtuous. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon. That's pretty much how you're supposed to be. Right. It's just that the, the previous incumbent was so not that, that this <laughs> looked amazing by contrast. So her ambitious relatives, though, were the ones they seized this opportunity to put her in his way. And then soon they were sweethearts, you know, chaste sweethearts. Mm -hmm. There's um, this scene, and they exploited in the Tudors about James sitting on his lap and stuff. And there's doubt that that kind of thing ever even happened before marriage. Doubt that a lot of things in the Tudor series ever really happened. No, I'm just saying it's not but, only oh, in the I Tudor see. series. Yes. I'm saying it's it's yes. pictured there. Yes, yes. And it's a very common, um, you know, trope. Like Jane Seymour sitting on the lab, mm-hmm. the Anne comes in, blah, 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 has a miscarriage. But there's doubt that that ever kind of thing ever happened. Now, I will say everywhere they went during this period, she was given rooms awful close to the king. And, you know, the hidden staircase hallway thing Mm -hmm. that's so common. I wish I had one in my house. (laughs) It would be really neat. Um, So a secret passage leads me to believe that perhaps we don't have our virtue intact. 
the whole time. No. Knowing Henry. But Hen yeah, I know. How would I, I don't know how anybody would not give in to Henry. I mean At this time he's still handsome. He's still handsome. Yeah. He's the king. He's got the power. He's got the money. He I mean, okay, so his first wife, you know, he figured out a way to leave her. His second wife at this time is still alive, so we don't have the bad reputation yet. Not yet. Okay, so the scurrilous rumors engendered by these secret passages and things went around, and Henry wrote to her once and sent this kind of large amount of money as a gift. And she famously sent it back to him, saying, Please, only when I make an honorable marriage will I accept a gift of money from you. He's delighted with this withdrawal. Oh, nice. Delighted. But, you know, where did she learn this pullback situation? That was from Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn trained, trained her competitors, I say. Well, Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour were contemporaries mm. before Anne Boleyn was... They were ladies-in-waiting together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's a very tiring thing, because you're sitting around basically leaning against a wall waiting for things to yeah. happen, for people to appear, for people to be tired enough to go to bed. It's in the title, ladies-in-waiting. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> So they're you waiting. should know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked earlier about Anne Boleyn's fall, her big fall from grace. Here is the dirty thing. Eleven days later, he marries Jane Seymour. Yeah, there's uh, there's a movie out. It's um, from the 1930s. It's uh, The Private Life of Henry VIII with Charles Lawton, who could very well be, physically looks a lot more like Henry VIII, then Jonathan Reese Myers. Yes, who's very handsome but doesn't look anything like Henry VIII. So this movie is kind of interesting to watch um, because of that, the the way that um, Charles Lawton portrays him. But at the very first scene, they're waiting for Anne Boleyn's head to fall off so that he can marry Jane Seymour. Which isn't exactly true. It was about 24 hours they got engaged and then married shortly thereafter. 11 days. No. Does she have no qualms? This is what I'm thinking. It's like, huh. Because, you know, the Catherine of Aragon thing where she'd been sent away, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about it before. It's like everyone can kind of understand a king that needs an heir and needs to replace a menopausal wife with someone willing to give him children. That is explainable. But the death of Anne Boleyn kind of has sent some shockwaves, I think, through Europe. On the flip side, Jane Seymour is nothing like Anne Boleyn. So right. she's maybe thinking, well, I know what she, where she screwed up. I okay. am not going to yeah. go down that road. That is not me. Now, her motto, in fact, you're right. Her, her motto was bound to obey and serve. She was very deferential, which is smart. I would be deferential, too, if... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My predecessor had met that sort of an end. Oh, sure. Um, she was very peaceable queen, and she brought about a reconciliation between Mary, his oldest daughter, and Henry VIII, and they had a good relationship together, um, young Mary and her new stepmother. Mm-hmm. She even brought Elizabeth to court, although there wasn't that same kind of level of, like, welcome back. Right. It's like, hello, little visitor with the red hair. <laughs> welcome. Now go back home. <laughs> but, Yeah. yeah. Um, Jane had a very high level of behavioral expectations. Her ladies must be above reproach. The clothing was more modest. The French fashions were thrown away. No more of this hoochie crap. Someone said, sarcastically, oh ho, now the poacher has become the gamekeeper. Mm-hmm. Now that you're in, you're removing the weaponry of the next item up for bids. Which is smart. Which is smart. Which was really smart. But let's talk about the coronation. 
Or not. Yeah, she wasn't no. crowned. Now, although he did intend, I think, to crown her, but it was delayed due to plague breaking out in mm-hmm. the city. Or was it delayed because she hasn't given him that male heir yet? There was only one argument that they really had. There was a rebellion in the north. The Yorkshire and Lincolnshire people mm-hmm. were rebelling against King Henry um, after he had destroyed so many churches and abbeys. And Jane mentioned calmly that perhaps God allowed this rebellion as a punishment for doing that. And Henry lost his crap, and he got in her face, and he reminded her in no uncertain terms what happened to the last queen who meddled in his business. And after that, she never participated. Dude, blame her. Again. <laughs> She's probably just testing the waters and decided the water was just a little too hot for her taste. Well, how must it be to be so afraid of a husband? Seriously. Well. And have to live this whole thing out in public. She must have had a seriously good poker face. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe but she thought that was that was what she was supposed to do. I guess so. I poor Jane. I know, poor Jane. But she's pregnant within a year. That's her salvation. That's anybody's salvation, I think, if you're the queen of this guy. So, um, hooray. And he sent out a notice, our most dear and beloved queen, you know, mm-hmm. was the preface. Yeah. She went into confinement, which is a very civilized... Would you have liked to have gone into confinement? It's a month, or sometimes two, Mm -hmm. of hanging out in your bed, talking to your friends. Mm -hmm. The only bad thing is they they covered all the windows. I know, I was just going to say, they show that in the the other Boleyn sister, when Jane goes into confinement, and all the windows get... Yeah, it's just dark and I. But on the other hand, you know, you just have to lay there. Your whole job is just to grow that prince. As long as they give me enough, you know, Vogue magazines and access to the internet, it would be nice. Yeah, I know. Not- <laughs> My laptop. I got some Pinterest boards to work on. <laughs> My confinement board. <laughs> so so that was the tradition to kind of ensure the best chance of the baby being healthy there at the end. You know, nobody's riding horses, nobody's running or having a chance to fall. That's kind of why they did that. So after an unfortunately horribly long labor oh, of a couple of days, not good. at long last, Henry VIII had his long-awaited son, the heir to his dynasty. Oot. I know. Instant legitimate heir, what a relief. Um, Henry VIII is said to be holding his son and weeping. Well, do you, I mean, he's gone through two wives now. He needed this boy, you know, a legitimate, he's had, he's had a boy, illegitimately. Well, and if you think about how much trauma there has just been in the country with the succession being Mm -hmm. in question for so long, this boy, this little baby will ensure that Henry's country stays in peace. Mm -hmm. And in his family line. Yes. Yeah. Now let me ask you, the C-section thing, there's some rumor is that perhaps she had had a C-section well, because or it was that, such a difficult yeah, delivery. Or that her life was sacrificed mm-hmm, for the child's mm-hmm. life. And honestly, okay, I want you to think about, like, we don't like 18th century medicine. I know, really. So go back, if you will, to further than that. And I don't know that you'd want to give somebody a C-section. I mean, the, it, it would was be, a death, death would be instantaneous. I don't think that she yeah. would have survived very long. That's a lot of blood. Yeah, and I keep thinking there is one case of a C-section lady surviving, but it was her husband that did it, and they think it was an outside-of-the-uterus pregnancy. Oh. And I want to say he was like a blacksmith or a butcher, like someone not... <laughs> 
in the medical profession at all. Although, well, I would actually want a butcher. I don't know about a blacksmith. They, I think I'd they work a, in hammers and. I'd want a horse doctor. Is who I'd want. Someone willing to take care of a valuable animal. Oh, is who yes. I'd want as my doctor. But second best would probably be a butcher because at least they know how to work a knife. Okay, so anyway, yes, I don't. And think, they know a bit about anatomy. That's, that's true. important. So no, I don't think she did um, no. because she was well enough to receive visitors with, within a few hours. Right, and she's not bleeding out onto the up, bed. She yeah. was talking. She seemed fine. She seemed fine, but three days later, she went downhill very quickly. Probably our old enemy on this podcast, childbed fever, mm-hmm. puerperal fever, they mm-hmm. call it, could have been a detached placenta. I mean, who knows? Yeah. The details are lost yeah. in time. But the outcome is that she died of childbirth then 12 days after the birth of England's heir, and she was only 28. Whoa. She was buried, ultimately, with Henry VIII in Windsor Castle, and he always regarded her as his one true wife. Even after the subsequent wives, even given the long-term relationship he had with Catherine of Aragon, Jane Seymour was regarded as his one true wife. And for a while, on her grave, there was the following. Here lieth a phoenix, by whose death another phoenix life gave breath. It is to be lamented much, the world at once ne'er knew to such. So basically, he was thanking her for her sacrifice and giving her life so the new life can be launched into the world. That was nice. He did three months of deep mourning, uh, almost three years of bachelordom after that, which is unprecedented for Henry. Now, yeah, I'm not saying three a, years of celibacy No, I'm going to say he probably wasn't. Yeah. I'm, just I'm saying, sure there was a number of families that were trying to get their yeah. daughters under that crown. But that I think he was all done. I kind of think he was all done with people's grasping relatives. And his advisors started to, you know, cast about for a foreign marriage, finally. But let's just um, wrap Jane up here. She is the most conventional of all his wives. If you look at them all, mm-hmm. she was not educated. Nope. She was subservient. She was a good household manager. Peace in the family was important to her. You know, a calm household for the king to come home to, basically, was her goal. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about something. I wonder if women okay. in aristocratic or royal households were more prone to dying in childbirth. And I was wondering about that because aristocratic women do not breastfeed. Oh. End of story. And that's kind of like a unreliable but typical method of at least spacing your children out. Well, aristocratic women had to get right back in the train. Right. I mean, sometimes like a month or two after they had the last one. And I'm wondering if just playing the odds, those ladies didn't die. We'll have to I don't know. That. So poor Jane was not queen for just slightly over a year. Yeah, not, not too long. So let's see. We've got our mommy version of his lives is now mm-hmm. passed. And now we move on to one that I think is the most entertaining mm-hmm. <laughs> and how this played out. And this is Anne of Cleves. You know, it's time. At last, for Henry to make a dynastic marriage, like other kings had to endure since mm-hmm. all of time. Think about that. He chose his own wives for attraction purposes. Even right. his first wife, he had the choice to marry her or not marry her. Mm-hmm. And he chose to marry her because he was attracted to her and thought she'd be a good wife. He has chosen these wives, and now he needed to cement alliances um, especially with the religious thing getting so crazy, he was not in so well with all the Catholic countries right now. No, no. And so he needed a Protestant wife from a Protestant house. So this is where it gets interesting. Henry sends his people out looking for the next bride. He's got to find one. They find these two sisters, 
Anne and her sister Amelia, and they send this guy out to paint their portraits and bring him back to them. Holbein, the court painter, was sent actually not only to Cleves, but also to other places, including Milan and mm-hmm. including the French courts. There were a couple of candidates. I have to tell you something funny about this. What? Christina of Milan, 16-year-old girl. Yes. This is, she didn't say this, but this will reflect the rumor and the stuff that's going around. Christina of Milan is reputed to say, which of course she didn't, if I had two necks, by all means I'd marry him and give him one. That's right. Okay. No, people are not forcing their daughters on him anymore. It's well, not, Anne Boleyn's death freaked no. him out, I think. Yeah. And also, Marie of Guise was said to say, I'm a big woman, but I have a little neck. But had either of them been told to marry Henry VIII, absolutely they would have done so. Right. And those statements seem like, you know, how you put in a cartoon. Uh-huh. That's what they would say. Yeah. So I don't think they're real, and I don't, aristocratic women wouldn't behave that way. No. But it's interesting that the sentiment at the time is like, don't, don't pick me. Yeah. Don't pick you me. You don't want my daughter. No. Yeah. So the Cleves thing is interesting that there's two daughters fully in the mix. Mm-hmm. Please choose one of these daughters. Now, she's not educated, is really. I mean, she she doesn't know literature and music, and she doesn't speak any foreign languages, including no. um, English. <laughs> I thought of it like someone who's homeschooled in, let's say, Montana, and that's their thing, and that they're they rock at that. But then they get sent to New York City. Everything is different. She is one of the three daughters of the Duke of Cleves. Where is Cleves? Cleves is one of those patchwork of Protestant principalities in what's now Germany. Mm-hmm. It includes, his kingdom includes Gelderland, and I have to say, until I read that, I thought it was made up for the Heath Ledger movie. Remember that song? He's tall, he's tan, he comes from Gelderland, Liechtenstein. Do you remember that? A nice tale. Yes. That's awesome. I thought... Second, I'm in awe. So when I read... references. When I read Gelderland, I started to crack up. So I felt kind of stupid, like, oh, wow. Hmm. So he was shown her portraits, um, this Anne or Anna of Cleves, and Henry VIII agreed. Sight unseen, based on her portrait. And she does look very sweet in the portrait. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's because the painter took her personality and made it more on the portrait. He, She had some smallpox scars that were not visible in the portrait. She didn't actually physically look exactly like the portrait. And, and also, on her long journey, which was delayed, Henry VIII is basically pacing around. He's never had this unknown woman coming to marry him, and he's building up in his mind what she's going to look like. And he is accustomed to the glittering, fashionable people who take pride in their courtierness mm-hmm. and their flirtatiousness, and he's accustomed to lively women. This man has been raised by women, even when a small boy, surrounded by women, mm-hmm. that were really good at social stuff. And here, instead, comes this parcel from Cleves. This, this 19-year-old, plain... Quiet. Now, he's 48 at this point. You know, not the handsome Henry anymore. So he's not exactly a prize on him in and of himself. But she's quiet and just, well, obviously doesn't speak the language and very plain. She's not fashionable. Simple. She's extremely nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, princesses, etc. noble women might be brought up to go far from home. But this was really thrown in the deep end. And, and it wasn't her culture. I mean, mm-hmm. it, she was comfortable in her own home, but now she's 
sent to Mars, really. So so she's escorted with 50 ships. She's shown proper respect. Henry VIII could not wait any longer. She's on the shore. He got some dudes together and rode hell for leather to surprise her. And the disappointment on both sides was not a good thing. No. Henry VIII is quoted as saying he was marvelously astonished and abashed. And then for her part, Anne of Cleves... Knowing she wasn't marrying a young, handsome prince was still astonished that some weird guy, some weird, fat, stinky guy came up and gave her a big hug, which is, I mean, I can imagine her stiffening up and freaking out. Nobody was supposed to know it was the king. Well, she sure didn't know it was the king. He didn't look kingly at all. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so they didn't really like each other very much on first sight. No. But you couldn't really get out of it. Betrothal. Is as good as marriage about now. Yeah, there was documents signed on both parts before she headed to England. So, And he said, if I had known then what I know now, she would never have come within this kingdom. Against my will, I will put my neck in the yoke. <laughs> well, by time not- you put your neck somewhere, because you've been putting other people's necks. Yeah. <laughs> so he was afraid of making her family mad. Uh, this was no subject of his no. that he could treat as he would. This is a person with powerful relatives. And the eyes of Europe were upon him. He needs to act kingly. So he's kind of trapped. Yeah. He, he viewed himself as the sacrificial victim of politics. Play the small violin for me. I know, really, really tiny violin. <laughs> I mean, what about Anna yeah. Cleves? Seriously? Yeah. What about Anna Cleves yeah. talking about sacrificial victim Whoa. of politics? Again, going back to it, the women are just commodities and, Ugh. uh, yeah. Well, they're married technically on January 6th. By July of the same year, the marriage is being dissolved by Parliament. Yeah, they have not managed to consummate this marriage. And, of course, he blamed her. We think it's a food-related problem, as in packing the food on the hips and stomach area, (laughs) as in no exercise, as in dude can't perform the functions. Yeah. But he blames her because, obviously, it's her fault. Of course, because if she was a woman, she could... Make things happen. Yeah. Whatever. So Cleves had become a less important ally. The king's eye had wandered to another young woman. This might sound familiar. She's a lady in waiting for the queen. That is like a a shop. Hello. Welcome to the wife shop. Your current (laughs) wife's rooms. That's right. Ladies and women. View our merchandise. But Anna Cleves is not stupid. Uh, No. I imagine her fear is almost overwhelming. She has no friends. Nobody's advising her. Um, but honestly, she kept it all inside. People said she was charming and fair and kind to servants. Mm-hmm. And the simple thinking of a servant, unheard of. And she always made sure to express her appreciation for the smallest thing done to her. She was nice. She was very nice. She was sweet. She gets this reputation for being clumsy, ugly, mm-hmm. ridiculous, awkward. But at the time, people said... At the time, people who saw her, mm-hmm. people who interacted with her, said she was the sweetest, most gracious, humble, humane queen that England had ever had. And I am blaming Henry VIII and his bruised ego for her bad reputation. Oh, that's interesting. She's a Flanders mare, is what he's reported to have said when he saw her. He's calling her a horse. He's like, this woman is not a woman. This is a horse. That's what's kept on. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I said I blame her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's Henry and his PR people. <laughs> um, and so he cast about for a solution <laughs> because he couldn't use the Anne Boleyn solution. No. He certainly wasn't going to be able to use the James Seymour solution nope. because that was just never going to happen. So um, so he and his advisors came up with the strategy to say that she was pre-contracted to another man. And there had been no consummation, two factors that would lead toward an annulment. Um, the funny thing is, both things might actually have been true. Mm-hmm. Because she was contracted at one point to the, the Duke of Lorraine's son. And so, yes, was that ever dissolved? Well, it's not on paper. You know, right. where is that paper? Right. It never came up with it. So that actually may have been the one legitimate time he got out of a marriage. But he offered her the strangest solution ever. He turns her into... The royal sister. He gives her houses, and she's welcomed at court. She has precedence over every lady in England, except a queen, if he marries Mm -hmm. again, and his daughters. That's pretty high up. But she can never leave England. Right. Or she loses all that stuff. She She happily takes it, though. I'd snap it up, too. Yeah, no kidding. She never had to consummate the marriage. She's no fool. She knows this is her way out. Yeah. That's Remember, I had that problem with Catherine of Aragon. He offered her a thing. She probably could have made life easier for herself if she had taken Mm -hmm. it. Now, think if Anne of Cleese hadn't taken this deal. Yeah, it would. Life would be very hard for her. It wouldn't. What's the point? No. Why drag it out? So she's smart to snap it up, but everyone is so confused. Like, wh- what? He's turned his wife into a sister. What other man in the world can do this? Um, there is no other man in the world that can do that. Best outcome ever. But yeah. she, and so she didn't have to live at court. Um, you know, Anne Boleyn said she was the most happy, but I think Anne of Cleves was the most happy. I would think so, because she didn't have to sleep with any of the Well, she had freedom. She yeah. had money. She had everything. She had no man as her boss, but the king, who was distant, who wasn't on, you know, her case all the time, she began, shockingly, to her family back home, she began to enjoy a drink. She began to take off her horrible hats mm-hmm. and her horrible pudding bag clothes and dress fashionably. She had a figure. She had a face. She was full of happiness. There was no stress. She became almost beautiful. People had written that she was a very attractive person. Like those, do you ever meet somebody like the first time you meet them? And I mean, we all look at people. We may not judge them on their looks, but we always think something. You meet somebody and they don't really strike you physically. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're, you know, whatever, plain or what, you know, not they don't strike you physically. But then you get to know them, and they become the most gorgeous person you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's like that Shallow Hal movie. You, oh, yeah, yeah. You, their insides become their outsides, and you see them beautifully. I think that's what happened. Well, so... <laughs> shallow Hal. Yeah, exactly. Or, you <laughs> know, or maybe just the lack of stress. Yeah. And the new clothes. Yeah. She had a makeover. Yeah, the biggest makeover of all. From wife to sister. That's a big makeover. That is a big makeover. She visited court after Henry got married again. I don't want to get a little ahead of mm-hmm. myself here. So, you know, we'll talk about Catherine Howard later, but right. he's married. He's taken a fifth wife. Mm-hmm. Wife four comes back for visits as the royal sister, and everybody's, like, rubbing their hands together. Yes, I can't wait how this is going to go. It went perfectly Catherine Howard and Anna Cleves played cards together. They danced. They walked arm in arm through the gardens. Everybody was like, huh, as if she was really his sister. She was perfect. Yeah. 
She had the best deal. She's so shrewd. You know, um, she was friends with Mary, the daughter. They mm-hmm. were about the same age. They liked each other a lot. And she was a great aunt figure to little Elizabeth, too. There were rumors that Henry VIII might have regretted his dismissal of her later, and scurrilous ones that he took the advantage of her new appearance to consummate Uh a relationship. This is court. I mean, that's what they do. They create scandal where there is none. She was the longest lived of all the wives. You know, she survived both subsequent wives. In Uh fact, she rode in the procession when Mary, Bloody Mary, and she turned out was crowned queen. Now, all that, she lived the longest, but she died at the age of 42, which doesn't (laughs) seem so old to me. No, me neither. (laughs) And she didn't have to go through that roulette wheel of childbirth either. Nope. um, Which would normally cut you down some. So 42 does seem pretty young. Um, She had a grand lying in state, as if she were a sister, an elaborate funeral, and she is at Westminster Abbey under, curiously, a Duke of Cleves crown, and uh, nothing to do with the English queen that she was. The part of her grave that references her birth and death date and the words Queen of England was um, not added until the 1970s. So let's take a little break, and when we come back, we will talk about number five. back we are and we've talked about died divorced and now we're going on to our next <laughs> the Not last to give two. You a, a spoiler yeah if you don't know what happens mm. you haven't been paying attention <laughs> <laughs> next we have Catherine Howard. Now, this is not that long after his annulment. <laughs> Shall we say simultaneously to his marriage to number four? Yes. There's Catherine Howard. She's the daughter of this ne'er-do-well nobleman of the illustrious Howard family. Uh, Lord Edmund, however, spent most of his life being Crabby Appleton about his hard life as a nobleman with nothing to do. <sighs> Fleeing debt collectors, mostly, and being an ineffective government worker in France. Wow. So big claim to fame. Spoiled rotten scoundrel. Totally. But it's kind of his family business to be scoundrels because he's the younger brother of the Duke of Norfolk. Who is horrible. We've talked about him a little bit with Anne Boleyn and he pops his little head into this scenario too with Catherine Howard and he really pimps her out. He does. Catherine grew up, although she's noble. Yeah, and she's related to a duke. Yes, she grew up in her. Okay, it's hard to explain the relationship, but let's just say her step grandmother's household. Right. Okay. Her so, her own mother died. Her own mother has a cool name, Jocasta Culpepper. That is a really cool name. So she was sent to basically this, mm, like a large school, like a respectable dumping ground for unwanted noble children. The supervision was not all it could be. Like the private schools in the movies. Exactly. (laughs) Let's just say Catherine Howard developed early. She was attractive to men early. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And she was attracted to men early as well. So she wasn't this prim little, nothing like Anne of Cleves. At the age of 15, her music teacher, in fact, cornered her and introduced her to the ways of the world, though technically she was still a virgin, but I think it was a technicality. Mm-hmm. There, and more seriously, at 17, another inhabitant, this time of the boys' dormitories, here she is in the girls' dormitories, <laughs> um, Sneaky McSneakerson, Francis Derham, often seen and heard with Catherine Howard in the girls' dormitory, shall we say. Let's say that. With lots of witnesses. Yes. Um, they called each other husband and wife. And at this period of time, if you said, Francis Durham, I am your wife. And then Francis says, Catherine Howard, I am your husband. And then you consummated it right after. You're married. Yeah. As if you'd been married in Westminster. It was as real as real. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Until Grandmama. Gets wind of it. Oh, yeah. Grandma yeah. found out, and I guess she got so crazy, she started punching everyone that was within the punching distance. <laughs> Including, you know, innocent bystanders on their way down to dinner got punched in the head by Grandma. That's I imagine, like, in my head, like, Shirley MacLaine, you know, going off the handle in terms of endearment. Kind of like that. That's my mental image. I don't know what she really looked like. <laughs> Catherine Howard was one of the lucky 140-so people brought to court by assorted relatives to form part of the new Queen Anne of Cleves household. Right. So once again, we have someone who's a lady-in-waiting to the Queen. <laughs> hmm. And Catherine Howard was teeny, tiny, bird-like, bird-like, delicate and pretty, flirtatious, giddy, jolly, dancy. You know, didn't take long for the king, yoked to the brown paper parcel who didn't speak English, <laughs> to notice this new person. Not at all. And it's two weeks after the annulment, he marries her. Two weeks! <laughs> wow. Okay. So what we have here is party girl married to Jabba the Hutt. Because at this point, he's almost 50. He's 300 pounds with an ulcerated leg and just oozing. I mean, he needs people to help him get up out of bed. And he's got this trophy wife, lack of a better word. Oh, jewels descended upon her. Oh, he even called her jewel of womanhood. That was reported to and a rose without a thorn. <sighs> um, you know, her innocence, her purity. Courtiers remarked that he was besotted with her. He could not give her enough stuff or enough of his ahem, attentions, mm-hmm. such as they were. Yeah, he had this idea of her, I think, that finally, here's this jewel of a woman who is, you know, no pretensions to intelligence. She's not going to argue with me. She brings happiness to my days. Also, she was awed by his position and had been raised to think that this Henry had the ear of God. And she was said to remark at one point, well, doesn't he already know what people say on confession? Referring to her husband. Like, (sighs) is this chicken or is this tuna? Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. And if anybody doesn't know to what I'm referring, let's see, what should they Google? Jessica Simpson, Chicken of the Sea. That's right. Yes. Although there's been plenty of other cases of stupidity. <laughs> but Not okay. that Jessica Simpson's stupid, but that was a stupid comment. <laughs> we all make them. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have Beckett to edit them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he was so ill, 
In the spring, he forbade her to see him like this. Don't look at me oh. like this. Like his normal persona was gorgeous enough. Yeah. Oh, but, like Mr. Yeah. Hot was going to be derailed here. Yeah. Okay, I think she's seen worse. But whatever. Talk about stupid. She starts hiring people to come and work for her. And she has Frances Derham to be her secretary. Her private secretary. Huh. The man that she supposedly, quote, married as a child. And you know, that might have been a bribe to keep him quiet. Maybe. Um, there is no indication, none whatsoever, that she resumed her relationship with him after mm-hmm. she was married. Not Frances Derham, anyway. The problem is, there was an attractive and quite disturbed might I say, man in the king's train that the king adored called Thomas Culpepper. Before this, he was famous for uh, attacking a cottager's wife in the woods with five of his dudes and getting away with it because the king said it was high spirits. This is not a nice man. But she's attracted to him. He's cute or whatever. Mm -hmm. They met everywhere. They met in the lavatories, which must have been so fragrant and delicious. They met on (laughs) stairs. They met in locked rooms. What were they thinking? This is a house of glass with spies willing to throw you under the bus. They'll throw you under the bus without any information. And what? Let alone having an actual oh. actual information and she's bringing somebody else into this party too and that is Jane Parker Bolin Anne Bolin's sister-in-law is a critical point in this like she arranges meetings she watches the door um, you know she's in it deep now is it her fault or is she obeying her queen yes. we'll never know but there is a good fictional book you should read about this part called The Boleyn Inheritance by Philippa Gregory. And in that, she covers Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard, and Jane Boleyn. And that's a really good combo in the way she weaves them all together. You know, like I said, historical fiction. But it's interesting to read that kind of thing Mm -hmm. first and then come back and read the actual biographies. So I think it's good. I, I agree. But all of a sudden, it all came crashing down in an unexpected way. She's been queen for 15 months, and someone with ties to step-grandma's house in the country brought the news of the messing around, maybe marriage, with Francis Derham. That didn't look good. No. Henry VIII is shocked. He didn't believe it. But, you know, there's too many witnesses. And she's not pregnant. No. At all. I mean, not by anybody. I thought that was kind of interesting, given the amount of activity. But she was quoted as saying she knew well how to meddle with a man and not be with child unless she would. Meaning, I know some techniques. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, Because she's so smart, we should believe her. (laughs) You know, maybe she's practical smart. Oh, maybe. Maybe she's smart in one area. I believe that everybody is gifted in something, and it's just a matter of finding out what you're gifted in. Well, thank goodness she found her thing. I know. That's awesome. Bless her heart. So um, it didn't look good, this Durham thing. Um, (gasps) Pre-contracted. She lied to the king. She lied to him. He was so mad. He... Arrested her. He put her under house arrest with Jane Boleyn, who he had lost patience with. And it was Darum who outed Culpepper, which was, he was never even on the table. (laughs) To save himself, Darum said, basically, you know, she didn't even know you then when we were together, sire. But what about him, who you love so much? What? Henry called for a sword, and he was going to go take that sword and go down there and kick the door in and cut off her head right then. If I could just get off this bed. 
But he handles it. Well, kind of. He raged and he wept yeah. and he threw priceless objects across the room. And he did not care who saw him crying <laughs> with snot rolling down his face about this. He was devastated. He had been made a fool of in front of everybody by someone he really idolized, if mm-hmm. not loved, anyway. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he never saw her again after the Culpepper outing. There is a famous ghost story in Hampton Court, the last place they were ever in the same building at the same time, which is also dramatized in the Tudors, by the way, just if you want to see this happening, where she <laughs> broke free of her room because she's smart enough to know the last person to talk to Henry VIII is probably going to win. Right. And so it's her, because he's not good with holding fast, you know, the people can convince him to mm-hmm. stuff. Sure. So she was thinking desperately that if she could just get to him and fall at his feet and beg forgiveness, that she would be able to do so. And so there's a famous ghost who runs down the hall of Hampton Court screaming, Henry, Henry. But uh, modern recreations have proved it would be nearly impossible for her to make it that far. Spoil sports is what I say. Spoil sports. Let the legend live. He never did see her again. Durham and Culpepper were both executed. Right. Catherine was moved to secure location with only six attendants. I don't have six attendants. But she still had her fine clothes, although her jewels have all been confiscated. Um, Not too much later. She was stripped of the title of queen. She's no longer queen. On the 24th of November, two days later, she was indicted as, I quote, living an abominable, base, and carnal life like a common harlot with diverse persons to the peril of the king and his children to be begotten by her who may have found themselves bastards. There's that word again. Bastards. That might be kind of (laughs) accurate. Well, and you know what? She didn't even know. She was not comprehending the train her life was on right now until in February they took her to the tower and reality finally set in. Finally she started to try to get away and to feel sad. Two days later she was told she was going to die and she asked for the block to practice laying her head upon it. That is a true... That's something I thought, what? Mm -hmm. That's redonkulous. Uh But that is actually historical fact. She asked, because she didn't wish to look ridiculous there at the last minute, if someone could haul that block all the way in there so she could practice the way that she would. Uh, That would be the last of my worries. (laughs) How you looked getting your head chopped off. Well, and evidently that's the last of her worries, too, because the next day she is decapitated at 7 a.m. at 20 years old, um, and her body is taken to the same place as Anne Boleyn's and very... Disregarded. And Jane Boleyn. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was also... Right after her. Yeah. The queen was first and then... <laughs> Precedence the in, in decapitation. <laughs> but you know what? Here's my question. What? There's a logic problem here. What? Okay, so, if the main reason is... Because he was even less mad about Culpepper, you know, the actual adultery, than he was yeah. about Durham, it seemed like. So if she was actually married mm-hmm. before she came to him, yes. how could she have committed adultery? Do you know what I'm saying? Because she wasn't married to the king, right? Well, publicly, I mean, she was his wife. Uh, I I'm saying. just saying, if there's a technicality wow, here, Wow, Becky, like, you're making my head hurt. Yes. Well, I'm just no, like, I- <laughs> Well, and obviously, yeah. we're no. not thinking that way, but I'm thinking, yeah. wait a minute, couldn't you have made the argument? This is Henry VIII. You don't make arguments, oh, I guess. I guess logic doesn't fa- factor in. When he's willing to get a sword and kick down a door to get you, I yeah. guess you're kind of out of the logic game. <laughs> so that takes us to another beheaded. <laughs> and then finally, the final wife, number six, Catherine Parr. So Henry is recorded to say, I have done with young wives, and now I'm resolved to marry a widow. 
Also, he'd made a rule that if anybody presents a candidate to him for marriage and she proves to be unchaste, the whole family is getting it. So, <laughs> so that brings that to a halt. There's not a whole lot of opportunities being presented. To well, because how are you going to be sure yeah. of that what your young relative tells you is true? No. And the whole family? Yeah. So that comes to an end. I guess the widow, which you have no illusions that she's going to be a virgin because she's a widow. Right. So, her, so there is somebody in her past, but he's dead. And he's, yeah. he's you know, legal husband, et cetera. And okay. they're older. Maybe, you know, Catherine Howard taught him that the young <laughs> chippies, really, as much as he's attracted to them, are probably not the way to go. Yeah, but she's not that old by our reckoning because she's 31 when she becomes the queen. No. So she's the eldest of three children of Sir John Parr, who was a friend of Henry VIII, and Maud Green, who had been a friend and lady-in-waiting to the first wife, Catherine of Aragon. So Catherine Parr may indeed have been named for Catherine of Aragon. What a hoot. I know. The circle turns. That's right. Such a small world. Um, Now, Mary would have been four years younger than Catherine Parr, so they were probably knew each other. Yeah, and um, the fact that, you know, anybody who was nice to Catherine of Aragon had a special place in Mary's heart. And Catherine Parr, her mother, was a bosom friend of Catherine of Aragon. Mm -hmm. And so Catherine Parr had that already in her corner. Right. That, like, oh, you're a daughter of my mother's friend. Hello. So, yes. But back to the upbringing of Catherine Parr, um, when she was five, her father died, and she was sent north to be raised by an uncle, um, as Mama was busy at court with Catherine of Aragon. She was educated there not as well as the aforementioned Mary or her mother, Catherine of Aragon, but significantly more than ladies of her time, and she always had a love for learning and never stopped educating Mm -hmm. herself Mm -hmm. the whole time. So that's really good. She's very intellectual. She knows other languages. She knows French and Greek and Latin and Italian. All will help her out in this in this world. She's she's a s- smart and level headed. She's also got reddish, another goldeny blondie reddish, and she's tall. She's five ten. Yeah, she's the tallest of his wives, and they've deduced that from the length of her coffin. In mm-hmm. case you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> So, um, she's married to husband number one when she's 17 years old, Edward Bora. And there's that, you know that song, Henry VIII, I am, I've been married to the widow next door, that thing? No, sing some more. Nope. (laughs) Um, here's the thing. This is the closest match to that song, Mm -hmm. but none of her husbands are Henry's. (laughs) And it turns out that Henry VIII is nothing more than a song from the vaudeville era. Sung by a man with a cane, dancing across a stage, huh. who made it up out of a faulty historical knowledge. Huh. So there you go. Catherine Parr is the one that people think, well, maybe it's her. It's not her. No. Nope. It has nothing to do with her. Hmm. So her first husband was her age, not an elderly man, right. as people think, but um, very, very unwell most of his life. And at 20, she was widowed with a small income, and her fate must be to get married again. So she does. And not that much longer within the year, she's married to John Neville, Lord Latimer. And he is um, older than her. Yes. He's probably in his mid-early 40s. Yeah, he's 19 or 20 years older than Mm -hmm. her. Can I please tell you the name of his castle? Please. Which I love. Go. He's from Snape Castle. (laughs) (laughs) Snape! 
So it's his third marriage and her second, and I'm thinking, till death do us part doesn't mean a lot in this era of war and poor diet and death and childbirth. You know, it's a low commitment level yeah. <laughs> till death do us part. It's like renting an apartment instead of buying a house. <laughs> it's like short-term contract yeah. marriage. Yeah. Okay, so to put this into a timeline... The year she married John Neville, Anne Boleyn became queen. So that's where we are. Okay. Parallel lives. Right. Anne Boleyn became queen. Right. The year she became, uh, you know, Lady Latimer. Right. Okay. And she stayed in that position for 10 years, which is a lifetime back at court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or several lifetimes, because <laughs> Henry's going through a few wives. Now, on one hand, she's super wealthy. She has a large household, and her stepdaughter, Margaret, loved her. Um, she referred often to her tender love and bountiful goodness, but she was in a horrible political situation. Her husband was kidnapped by rebels and forced to be their mouthpiece, and they held her and her stepchildren hostage, prisoners, like collateral for mm-hmm. his return. Mm-hmm. And that must have been terrifying. So either the king is going to ding you for treason and take all your crap, including your neck, or the northern rebels are going to kill you and your family. It's like, dang. (laughs) You can't win on this scenario. But somehow they steered some kind of middle ground, but her husband never really recovered from that stress, I think. Um, They moved to London, and Catherine Parr started spending time at court with her sister, who was a lady to Catherine Howard. Because we've already gone up Catherine Howard in this timeline. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a very fast, you know, yeah. once they start going, those dominoes, they just go, they? just keep they? falling. They keep falling. And so she's taking care of her increasingly old and um, decrepit husband. He's 50. I know. He's elderly. but Which um, is actually about the same age as Henry. Yeah. And it's funny because they refer to her elderly husband. I, yeah. Latimer, yeah. not her elderly her husband, husband, Henry. Henry, yeah. So at court, she began having feelings for Thomas Seymour, the brother of Jane Seymour. Can we get more inbred and convoluted? No. No. Um, interlocking craziness, you know. But they they both fall in love with each yes. other. It's it's a romance. So could she have money and love at last? Because if Lord Latimer dies, he's wealthy and she's a wealthy widow. But... As her husband, Lord Latimer Day, lay dying and the sun began to come out on her happiness, a big, huge, round, fat shadow <laughs> fell over her plans. It looks just like Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> <laughs> he began, yeah. Henry VIII, to give her presents, and all I can say about that is rah-row. So much for love with Thomas Seymour. I mean, it's love versus duty or maybe happiness versus fame. Why? Why, why, why are these ladies doing this? I'm going to go with duty. It kills me. I don't know why. After, I mean, you know, maybe number two because he's famous and he's awesome. But if you're number six and you've, you can look back easily. It's recent history. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be able to read. No. You can just look back. Why? You're giving these women a lot more options than I think they really oh, well, had. That's true. You know? I guess but, when the king wants to marry you, you might want to have to marry him and give the appearance of willingness, maybe. Yeah, and he was looking for someone that was just like her, right? Yeah. I mean, he was looking for a widow. She was now twice widowed. He was looking for someone a little bit older. She was, you know, in her 
30s. He was looking for someone to take care of him that could be trustworthy and smart and wasn't conniving. And calm. So those those conniving women are the ones that are the few that are still going after him because there's not a lot going after him at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's going to have to look for somebody because that kind of person that he's looking for isn't going to come to him. That's true. So maybe that's why he, I don't know, speculation by us. Well, so um, (laughs) what kind of queen did she become or what kind of woman um, was she? Well, always friendly and this almost ideal mix of dignity and cheer. Like she was motherly. Mm -hmm. She had a great relationship with each and every stepchild of hers. In fact, right before they got married, Mary and Elizabeth were restored to the line of succession. So the the Mm -hmm. peace was getting, you know, ironed out here. It may be due to her influence. Intelligent influence. It's not, he could, I mean, at this point, he can't see, he's got to be able to see through people, right? I think so. I think it was just genuine. Like, look, your life could be so much happier if he would just... This is the closest to a happy family life he's Mm -hmm. ever had. Right. I mean, not to say... I mean, everybody had their own household because that status. But, you know, the children came together for major holidays. Mm -hmm. And there were affectionate letters back and forth. And it was just closer to this... What I think he was maybe searching for. Yeah. Than he'd ever had. Um, (laughs) So she's pleasant. And she's very wise. And this goes to my heart. She's a lover of shoes. I was, oh, I was waiting to slip that in. Like, she kind of reminds me of you (laughs) in a a number of regards, but the shoe thing, when you're shorted 47 pairs of shoes, that would be you. That would be me. Could you imagine if you had an unlimited shoe budget? What I would need is an unlimited shoe closet. That's true. Yeah. But, but wow. anyway, she's officially the mother figure. So, In fact, he wrote to her once, give our love to all of our children. And also, notably, she had Elizabeth with her. Elizabeth, Princess Elizabeth, mm-hmm. or the Lady Elizabeth, as she is uh, still now, actually lived with her. That was really yeah. her mother. Yeah. She hadn't had one before, finally. Yeah. So she was trusted, brace yourself for this. Yes, huge. To be regent of the kingdom when the king was out of town. He was out of the country. So this is the only the second wife that has had this, he's been given this responsibility. Would you give Catherine Howard the keys no. to anything? It would be like one of those movies. Where they have a party when that... In Berlin? No way. Uh, yeah, as soon as they walk out the door, it's risky business, man. Uh, yeah. Watch out for the... Crystal egg. Actually, you know how I imagined it? Like, he's, like, getting ready to waddle off, and she's standing at the doorway going, have fun storming the castle. <laughs> he did kind of storm the castle. He went to France to kick France. butt and take names, man. That's right. That's it right. all had to do with the baby Scottish queen, Mary, Queen of Scots, and who she was going to marry. Mm-hmm. So the counselors were obviously the real bosses, but she signed official documents, and he communicated with her about strategy, the children, matters of state. And for her part... I'm going to quote a letter, and you tell me if she's a courtier or if she's, you know, I think she's finally happy or whatever. She wrote, The want of your presence, so much beloved and desired of me, maketh me so I cannot quietly pleasure of anything until I hear from your majesty. So basically, I'm thinking of you, Henry. Everything's okay, but hurry home. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. In addition, she was an author. He let her write books, and she did. She wrote two, and they were um, religious in nature. One was Prayers and Meditations, and another was Lamentations of a Sinner. Well, kind of regarded as a dirty book because it couldn't be published until after Henry was gone. Mm-hmm. It had some controversial religious uh, 
sentiments in it. Yes. Um, she was definitely for reform. Antonia Fraser called her the true Protestant queen, but her enemies tried to use this against her. She had, you know, radical preachers in her rooms and... His counsel suggested that she was influencing him unduly. Um, suggesting that she was improperly persuading him in religious matters. She did step mm-hmm. over the line once, though. That's okay. She lectured the king mm-hmm. about perceived errors in his theology. Unfortunately, it coincided with a bad temper on that day and also with a crackdown on heresy. <sighs> bad things, you know. Timing is everything. Rumors started to swirl that she was going to be replaced mm-hmm. because of this and that she was going to be arrested for heresy because of all this. Because, you know, Henry will listen to the last freaking person that talks to him. It's like it's like they convinced him, oh, she's this, she's this. Yeah. And he goes, oh, she is. She this. must be. I'm yes. going to write a thing. Yeah. Okay, someone, and I quote, someone, mm-hmm. who knows, I'm glad they did it, but someone dropped a copy, obviously on purpose, like more like dropped it. Oh, what is this thing I have dropped in this hallway as I knock on the door that is on in the hallway that somebody should come out and pick up in the hallway. You know, it's like Your so highness. obviously yeah. <laughs> not accidental mm-hmm. of the charges against her. Right. Do with this what you will. But here's this thing. I'm just telling you. Yep. Act now. <laughs> yep. Hurry, hurry. And so she did hurry, hurry. She went right to Henry, as she should, and basically kind of um abased herself mm-hmm. and said, well, of course she didn't know what she was talking about. She was a woman. She was taking this opportunity to learn from him. He must have misunderstood her because she's his wife. Therefore, she has to be instructed by him and his superior intellect. It was like Scarlet freaking O'Hara. Uh-huh. Don't you think? Let me insert a vomit sound here. <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do to yeah. survive. Yeah. And it did save her neck. Well, it saved her neck. She got new jewels and and gowns out of the whole matter at the end. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry, honey. Yeah, she was smart. And he yeah. totally forgave her. And then they came to arrest her the next day. Mm-hmm. Henry's like, what are you thinking? Get away. Yeah. What are you doing? This is my Back wife. Off. But yeah. it's dangerous to continue this hobby, I think, this uh, religious uh, investigation until Henry's gone. That's what I think. Because she mostly laid off, mm-hmm. as you would. It didn't take very long. Yeah. Because Henry died only after four years of marriage. So she was the lucky one. <laughs> who survived him. So, now, she has this past. She's free. So, who does she go running to? Thomas Seymour. Yep. The man she loved. The man that she gave up to marry the king. And give, give did duty and honor and married the king. And now she can go back to marry for love. She, Four months after Henry died. <laughs> yeah, she married him in secret. Yeah. And then they decided, because there's a child king on the throne, that they're mm-hmm. going to trick him into ordering Thomas Seymour to marry her. Mm-hmm. And it takes a couple tries. Because you know, <laughs> this is so, like, bumble. Who, um, now, who do you think your um, uncle should marry? <laughs> little boy. Uh-huh. And he immediately says, of course, he should marry my lady, Anna of Cleves. And they're like, um... Mm. No. Uh, okay. Thank you. Another day. No. What do you think? And he goes, he should marry my sister Mary and change her mind about religion. She's so wrong. <laughs> and he finally got it right. You know, <laughs> he should. I know he should marry. You know, my lady mother. You're what a, a good idea. Kid. You're so yes. smart. <laughs> so <laughs> good for them. They yeah. finally got him to say the right name. Yay! <laughs> and almost immediately, huh? What? She's expecting. 
After all these husbands? After yeah, all this time? And she's older. She's 35. Well, I mean, even in, that's, having had a child or two after the age of 35, I can tell you they call it advanced maternal age. <laughs> so back then, it's extremely advanced maternal age. Elderly maternal age. Oh, hush. <laughs> yes. Okay, you're right. Yes. Elderly, decrepit. She's six months pregnant when her husband is um, misbehaving with young Elizabeth, who still lives with them, and Elizabeth had to be sent away. That's dirty when your wife is expecting to mess around with your house guest. Especially when your wife is this woman. Really? These men are, like, it's like the dirtbag parade, isn't it? Yeah, maybe that's another reason of this era. I'm just so confounded by it. I don't understand the men. So she spent the last months of her pregnancy decorating. I mean, there's no Pinterest, so you got to fall back on the old <laughs> cloth of gold, you know, tapestries, <laughs> gilded wood. Dang, you know, whatever. It's what everybody's doing. I know. But it's fabulous, and it's for this baby, mm-hmm. cousin to the king, basically. Yep. Mary Seymour was born. This one marries Seymour, and six days later, in an irony that is not to be believed, Catherine Parr dies of puerperal fever. <sighs> Just like Jane Seymour before her. Yep. She was 36. She finally had a child. She had married for love. Did everything right. And then she's still dead at 36, right after a baby's born. That's not a happy ending. What? Yeah. I'm no. sorry to say, we can't reconstruct it for you in a different way. I wish we could. She had an almost forgotten burial at her castle's chapel, and in 1782, mm-hmm. they, and she'd been moved a few times, and the coffin had been opened a few times. Like, who's this again? What? You know? <laughs> and finally, finally, in 1837, a magnificent statue was finally completed. It's a much delayed monument, but it's there. She finally gets her do and her respect so there it is divorce beheaded died divorce beheaded survived but each one's different it's not just a little rhyme no they had lives full lives and that's boiled down to a little ditty now let's see who can we follow on twitter from this particular podcast well we can follow jane seymour we can follow anna cleaves we can follow katherine howard and we can follow katherine parr all on twitter how cool is yeah. I wonder how soon after Twitter was invented, did somebody do that? I don't know. It's a little leap. Like, there's this new thing. Hey, let's go get some Twitter women and make an account. Like, if you were passionate about that person and you had a lot of information on them and you thought they were, re- maybe you teach a course in Twitter uh, wives. <laughs> You know, and you're like, okay, I just do this on the side. It'll be fun. No, I think it's, it's neat, like but I just, thing. like, it never would have, I don't think, occurred to me. No. Although, you know, in these days when Princess Beatrice's hat has its own Facebook page <laughs> and Angelina Jolie's right leg, leg. has 20,000 followers, I guess, <laughs> this is a much more useful use of Twitter. Hey, I believe so. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, PBS has an interesting six... Wives of Henry VIII that you can get the DVDs on Netflix. Highly recommend. And then, yeah. of course, go back to the David Starkey, oh, uh, yes. um, the monarchy. Why haven't you watched it yet? <laughs> the monarchy on Netflix. Now go a little bit further down the list in season uh-huh. two. So he's very personable. And in fact, his Six Wives of Henry VIII by Dr. David Starkey is a very well-known and reliable history of these six wives. In addition, Antonia Fraser has a book with the similar title, The Wives of Henry VIII. Feel free to watch Showtime's The Tudors. I think it's interesting, especially knowing 
a little bit more and knowing that not everything you're seeing is actually historically accurate. <laughs> and if you can handle all the flesh, which I understand they tamed down as the seasons went on. Season two might be the height. The height yeah. Of, yeah. I didn't make it all the way through season two, so <laughs> I'm sorry. There's actually another website. It's called luminarium.org. Oh, yeah. And it's got, we'll link you up. It's got lots of information. Very readable format. So that's it for this episode. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed following the careers of the six women in question. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. I thought love's game was over. Lock had gone away. I laid my cards on the table, unable to play. Then I heard good fortune say, they're dealing you a new hand today. What a day. So here I go again. I hear the trumpets blow again I'm all aglow again Taking a chance, a chance on love Here I slide again About to take that ride again I'm oh so starry-eyed again Taking a chance on love I thought that cards were a frame-up, I never would try. But now I'm taking the game up, and the ace of hearts is high. Things are mending now, I see. I see a rainbow blending now. We'll have have a happy ending now. Taking a chance on love.